your Bibles this morning if you'll find your way to the Gospel of St. Luke. Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. This is a chapter of a couple of uh, parables and that the Lord was talking about. Matter of fact, there's about three uh, parables in this uh, one chapter, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And um, maybe at some point the Lord will open the door for a message on each of those. But uh, this morning we're going to look at just one verse, and it's found within that parable of the lost coin. Um, Christians, as we know, go to heaven when they pass from this life. But what do they do? When they uh, get there, how much do they know of the things that are happening here on earth? And we'll find in this passage that there is one thing that brings all of heaven's joy, and that is the salvation of sinners. In this passage, it talks about in the presence of the angels of God how there is great uh, joy, not necessarily by the angels themselves, but in their presence. And Christians who have gone on uh, to heaven rejoice for every earthly conversion that is done, making heaven's inhabitants uh, happy. And so this morning we're going to answer the question as to why. Why is there such joy over just one that is saved? And that is what we're going to think on this morning. Let's look at the Word of God. Luke chapter number 15, uh, verse number 10. I'll tell you what, let's back up to verse 8. That way we get the whole uh, story here. Uh, this is a parable of the lost coin. It says, Either that woman having lost um, or having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, Doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, God, for the joy that you give to our hearts as we accept you as our Lord and our Savior, Lord, how that you take all the sin, all the shame from us, and you replace that with your mercy and your goodness and that joy uh, that is indescribable. And Father, we are uh, prayerful and mindful of those who are round about us who are lost and undone without you, God. We pray that you would convict their heart, Lord, that they be saved before it's eternally too late and Lord, as they uh, accept you, that we too would rejoice over that one that comes to you. Lord, likewise, that one that maybe is backslidden this morning. We pray you'd convict their heart, God, that they repent and return to you. And Lord, for whatever you do here this morning in this service, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this lady has ten pieces of silver. She loses the one. And we all know how that is, right? 
Uh, I've been moving some things this week, and as I uh, leave or pack in one thing, and then as I get to the destination and start unpacking, you, you find things you forgot you even had, right? Uh, some things that maybe is in storage, and, and when you find it, it brings back a flood of memories as you remember whatever the case may be when you got that particular item or, or what's associated with that item, and it just makes you really call back to memory why you even have it. And, and uh, there's also those things that we learn that we can live without, right? And so we get rid of it, or uh, in some cases we still hang on to it and think, well, I might need it later. But imagine you can almost picture this story, this lady who has this ten pieces of silver. She loses one. And notice what it says. If she loses one piece, does she not light the candle? Meaning, perhaps even in the darkest of hours, if there's something that is lost, if there's something that's undone, you're still searching and trying to find that answer. Lights a candle, sweeps the house, seeks diligently until she finds she knows it's here it may be in the crack of the couch right she knows it's in this house somewhere so she sweeps and she diligently searches for it until she finds it and then notice in verse 9 and when she finds it she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying rejoice with me for that that i have lost i have found the excitement that she has. And notice what our Lord says. He says, likewise. So the same joy that she and her friends had over finding that one piece of silver that was lost, he said, likewise, I say to you that there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. And that would beg the question, why? Why is there such joy? Why do we get so happy when we find that? Uh, I, I went through a pocket of one of my suit coats, and I, I have to be careful with this because I'm so so frequently just, as soon as they give me cash at the store, what I do, put it in my pocket, right? And if you don't wear suit coats very often, you go hang it in the closet, and then you'll take it to the dry cleaners. Well, I've gotten to where I check my pockets because there's a lot of times there's that money there, right? And you like, oh, I've got five bucks that I had forgot I even had. So there was great excitement, but why? I want to give you three or four things this morning as to why I think there is joy in heaven over just one that is saved. Number one, because of the importance of the soul. Because of the importance of the soul. In Mark chapter 8, you'll remember, our Lord said, What shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul. You know, there's a mad race today for a possession and to possess things. And, and we can have all the things that our heart desires. We can have the, the nicest of cars, the biggest of homes, the, uh, or multiple cars, whatever the case may be. And we have all of these possessions in life. And we have that title deed to the world. Maybe that would not be enough. We want more. And as we get more, what happens? We want even more until we, we, we don't understand how, how to stop. We just want more and more and more. And, but that's not enough. All the things that one could possess in this world is not enough to compensate for the loss of the soul. How much attention 
we give to our bodies. You know, we have this, I don't know, I say a craze. I don't know if it's necessarily a craze, but there's a, a phenomenon going on amongst people of, um, to get in shape. You know, we, we think about that first time, first of the year, and we set those resolutions, right? We've got to stick with them, and two weeks later, we're over, it's over with, right? But there's some that literally live for working out and they, they go to the gym and, and they, they pay the memberships and they, they have all of these supplements they take and they do this and they do that and there's countless. I did a search just so I would have some kind of idea. Um, I did a search for bodybuilding and of course I could make a joke. You know, I've been building this body for 35 years now, right? Uh, but nonetheless, there's bodybuilding. I never knew there were so many courses, programs that are available for bodybuilding. Dressing up the body, fixing up the body, facelifts. You can have uh, cosmetic surgeries now to change your whole appearance. We give so much to this, yet so little attention the soul that's the importance of soul winning when i was in uh, seminary that they really pushed you know how we need to evangelize even in street evangelism and of course some places you can't do that no more but uh, nonetheless they, they teach you you know we need to strive to to go out and soul win it's the importance of the soul but secondly i think there's joy over one saved because of the increase of heaven's population. Every soul one is one more that will be there in on the joy that is being shared there. Joy that is shared is, is multiplied. The indescribable blessings there, the beauties, all the, the things that the Bible has to say that heaven has. And, and isn't it interesting, just a side note here, there are more descriptions and verses about hell than there is heaven. Some would say, well, why is that? If, if heaven is this great place of joy and splendor, why are there more about hell? And I think it's simply because of this. I think the Lord wants you to know that that is a place you don't want to go. It's far more descriptive than heaven i think the beauty of heaven is the unknown knowing what we do know is enough to make you want to go there right but i think there's far more i think the scripture even tells us uh, that it is indescribable that our vocabulary is not vast enough to describe things of heaven the fellowship with the saints and with the lord that's enough to want to go right it would be for me Thirdly, because of the investment made. The investment. Joy over one saved because of the investment of the Savior. This is the whole reason He came to this earth. He could have called 10,000 angels there at Calvary, but yet He died alone. Even died forsaken of God. Remember as he cried out, one of the last sayings from the cross was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His followers abandoned him. 
He was there alone, dying. All that was involved in his suffering and death for us. The suffering in Gethsemane, you remember at the midnight hour, I think I told you I have a, I'm working on a message about the midnight hour. There's a lot of fascinating things about that hour. But as he was in the garden of Gethsemane, how, how he was sweating from the agony that he was bearing, how, how heavy the load was. And he even prayed that prayer saying, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's enough there to show that it wasn't necessarily something that he had to do, but that he wanted to do. His suffering, his trial, little makeshift trial. A matter of fact, it was an illegal trial. A trial by night. Who does that? A trial by night in the same night he was arrested. Who does that, right? We'd have more lawsuits on us than we could ever imagine if we tried that in our society. Of course, I know our court system is different. But the trial, having no fault found, then finding fault and having no fault and fault and switching back and forth between kings and rulers and then ultimately facing the death penalty for being who he said he was. The scourging being beaten beyond recognition. A beaten that most any normal person would never be able to endure. Flesh ripped from your bones. And then ultimately, the crucifixion. And we'll get more into that as we get closer to Easter, which, by the way, is not very far away. Isn't that something? The precious blood of Jesus that was shed was a heavy, heavy investment. The purpose of redemption because of the investment of the Savior. Then also joy over one who is saved because of the reality of hell. The reality of hell. Each person that is saved is one more plucked from those fiery clutches. You remember in um, Luke 16, I think it is Luke 16, uh, where it talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was much like um, our people of society today. That had everything they ever wanted, right? He had all the money. He had all of the, the fame, I guess you could say. He had all the best of clothes. He, he literally had, if he didn't have it, it was not a problem. He could get it, right? Um, probably, as we would say, pay cash for it. You know, be done with it. And then you remember Lazarus, who was the direct opposite of that, right? The, the, the poorest of the poor broke didn't have nothing, sat at the gate hoping that he could just find a crumb that fell from that rich man's table. And the Bible says the dogs came to lick his sores. The passage teaches us that they both died. The rich man, it says, was buried. 
and Lazarus went into Abraham's uh, bosom. The rich man, and this is paraphrasing, you can go read, I believe it's in Luke chapter 16. Um, You could go read this, and it, it says that the rich man was tormented in the flames and and that he was so tormented that he had pleaded and begged that God would send Lazarus to just dip the tip of his finger in water that it may soothe him or that it may bring him comfort for he was being tormented. And the scripture basically is saying for the rich man that that was not possible because there was this great gulf between Uh, the two of them, and that he could not pass from one side or to the other. And then he's told uh, Lazarus to to send or to go and tell his brothers so that that they would not be, um, end up in the same place and be tormented like he was, which goes to show us that isn't a place that one wants to go, right? Don't let them come here. This is horrible. Try to send out the warning, right? The Bible says that they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, but if one would go from the dead, then they would believe. He said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to be persuaded, though one raised from the dead. I say that to say this. You remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 as he was prophesying um, the, the crucifixion of our Lord where he starts that whole chapter out with saying, Who has believed our report? Who's believed it? Who will believe if we're not going to believe what Moses had to say? If we're not going to believe what... Uh, Jeremiah, what Isaiah, what Malachi, what Nahum, if we're not going to believe them, if we're not going to believe Jonah, if we're not going to believe all these other prophecies, then are we really going to believe that a man was born of a virgin who lived a sinless life, who was beaten, like I had said, beyond recognition, who was ultimately hung on a cross and rose again for your salvation. How important it is, this reality of hell and how the Bible speaks repeatedly of the torments of hell in the book of Revelation and the final day of this lake of fire that will be there. It's amazing to me what people will risk for a little money. The rich man had everything, could have had anything, probably the best health care one could want, the best insurance policies, the best chariot and the best horse, right? But it cost him. It cost him his soul. So much is given for a little money. The trade-off doesn't even make sense. You know, this life is temporary, right? What good is all of that once we're gone, right? 
It's what my grandfather had said before he had passed away. He'd always said, you know, I never had much, didn't want much, because after I'm dead and gone, it ain't no good to me, no way. How true that is. We always had a joke. Of course, hopefully I can joke with you about this. And my granddad always said, there's never a luggage rack on top of a hearse. And I said, you haven't seen my hearse. Because I had the minivan, right? It has the luggage rack. The trade-off doesn't make sense. Same thing in the area of pleasure for a season. We we have all of this in comparison to, to eternity. This life is but just a season. We're just passing through. The joy of heaven compared to that awfulness of hell, that forgotten doctrine, that how we need more on the, that are that are there on the, the brink of hell, and to have just that glimpse of motivation and encouragement that hey, this is not what you want. Not what you want. The joy. Knowing that they escape hell's clutches. All of joy, all of heaven rejoices. Even if one comes. I remember I was pastoring a church and we um, when I went there it was it was small like we are here and and um, probably about three three and a half years into my pastorate there I, the church began to start growing as they, they saw that the pastor wasn't going nowhere, right? That he was going to stick around. And so the church started growing and, and whatnot. And it was not uncommon every week for several to be uh, in the altar and praying. And, and I remember it was right before a revival we had. And, and the church was, like I said, it was growing. Each week we had people coming. And there was one elderly lady every week, I kid you not, she was in this altar every week week and it started to to i started noticing i guess you could say more so than just you know it wasn't just i'm coming down because i feel like if i don't the preacher's going to keep us longer but i think it was genuine and so i started noticing every week she was coming every week every week every week and so one sunday i finally just knelt with her and she was just sobbing crying and i said what's going on you know and she told me the whole story about her her son and the life he had lived and was living and she was praying for him and and um, long story short we I asked her if we could share any of this and she was okay with that of course the church mostly knew anyway so as I shared that we all gathered around her and we just all wrapped her up and we was praying for her and her son came three nights of that revival meeting And on that third night, he too was in this altar and he gave his life to the Lord. Today, that same man is pastoring a church. Gripped at once by the clutches of hell and was on the brink of finding himself there. But the Lord reached out. Joy. Can you imagine the church... Obviously was excited, right? But can you imagine all of heaven rejoicing because of what? Being saved.
let's make heaven glad today. Let's, let's have a, a, an interest in our hearts to reach out to those lost sinners every day and to never give up, to continue to pray for them. Just like this lost coin that this woman, let's search diligently until we find them and they find their way to the Lord. And once they do, let us along with all of heaven rejoice for one sinner has come home. Amen. Amen. I'm going, we're going to extend a moment of invitation and and then I'll dismiss us at a word of prayer. We'll go ahead and pray and bless the food as well in the midst of that. But should you need this altar, it is open during this time. And I encourage you to pray for those. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a friend. We all have those needs in our life. I encourage you to lift them up today as we sing together.